Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the fourth Thursday of the month, which means it's time for Vegan Conversations with Robert Cheek. He has a fabulous guest for us today. So let's first welcome Robert to the show. How have you been doing, Robert? Hi, Chef AJ. I am great. And I just have to say right off the bat, I'm actually... So excited about today's guest. I'm even a little bit nervous, even though I've been hosting this show for a very long time. I've been doing my thing and speaking for 18 years. I just, I'm just excited about today's show. You know, that happens to me every once in a while, even after 1700 shows, like for me, it was Michael Moss because I had for 10 years wanted to interview him when he finally came. I was, I I understand that so much, but first, before you introduce your guest, tell us what you've been up to, because I understand you've completed your book. Finally, uh, The Impactful Vegan, we finally decided on a title. Uh, I finally finished the book. Now I just have to get the images, infographics, and all of that. And those due dates are coming up very soon. And then the book will go into production in December, January, and then it comes out June 25th, The Impactful Vegan. And uh, and thank you for being in that book too, Chef Yeah, Yeah, you know, I can't wait and I'll be happy to promote it. And we'll for sure have several shows and tell people about it. But first, today's show, you always find the most fascinating guest for us. Who do you have today? Today, I have NBA assistant coach of the Washington Wizards, Coach Joseph Blair, also known as the vegan coach. He's a former professional basketball player. He even played for the Harlem Globetrotters, who I just saw on my birthday earlier this year sitting courtside. So that's why I'm so excited. I'm a big basketball fan. uh, And I cheered for the Wizards uh, for a long time, too. And now I cheer for them again because of Coach Blair. Uh, He's he's a vegan coach, maybe the only one in the NBA. And so uh, very excited to have uh, Joseph Blair on the show today. So Coach Blair, Welcome to Chef AJ and Vegan Conversations with Robert Cheek. How are you? I am excellent. I'm I'm honored to be around you two. You guys are like incredible people. What you've been doing, obviously, you Robert. You know, we we connected sometime last year. I mean, we never our paths never really crossed completely, but you know, I know of you. I've followed you for a long time. I'm excited to be uh, to consider you a friend now. It's just what you've done. For the, for the world, I would say. I want to say vegan world, but really, whenever you do something for the vegan world, you're doing it for the world. So I'm just really happy to be here to go through this interview and just really just, uh, you know, combine like minds. Well, thank you, Coach Blair. And I'm even going to apologize in advance if I stumble over my words because growing up, I mean, like I guess many young kids, I wanted to be an NBA player. You know, I'm I'm a big basketball fan. I go, I go to games. I, I've got league pass. I, I watch all the games. I watched the preseason game yesterday. I'm, I'm really into it. So uh, I'm just super excited to connect with you and even learn more about the world of professional basketball and also kind of the diets of NBA basketball players, how that might be changing or evolving, uh, maybe particularly, you know, in, in your instance where maybe you've got some influence on that or observations or something along those lines. And typically I usually wear a collared shirt uh, on Chef Major show, but I, I put on a jersey today. I apologize. I don't have a Wizards jersey, but I, as I was telling you offline, Westbrook is my guy, has been uh, since basically his rookie year. So I've got a, a number of jerseys and I, I kind of cheer wherever he goes, which I loved him in D.C., um, I, I think, were you there during that time or the next year? I came the year after he left, but believe me, okay. he left a powerful legacy here. And I know the coaches I worked with still speak extremely highly of him and just what he brought to the team. Yeah, I figured you may have just missed him, but 
Coach Blair, I want to uh, learn about your vegan journey. I mean, it's not every day you get a six foot 10, 255, 265 pound guy, former pro basketball player who's coaching at the highest level in the world of basketball who follows a vegan diet. And from what I can tell, interacting with you and following you online, you, you, you come from a, a place of compassion uh, and, and empathy for animals, not, not just nutrition, but you really, you, you really embody uh, the tenets of veganism, which I, I really appreciate. So can you, for all the listeners here, can you kind of walk us through how that all came about? Well, it's interesting. I think it goes back to when I, when I was in college. I played basketball at the University of Arizona. And my last year, it was before they had the uh, image and licensing money. So we just didn't have money back then. And uh, it was my last year at college and I was running low on funds. So I took the money I had and I went and bought a sack of potatoes, a bundle of bananas, a bunch of ramen noodles. Uh, you know, it's crazy because people always say how expensive it is to be a vegan or be a vegetarian. I was like, well, that was actually, it was the cheapest thing for me to do back then. And once I did it, uh, I physically started feeling differences. My energy levels went up. At the time, I was a little bit chubby in college. I shed a lot of that quote-unquote baby fat and just started feeling great. So I really took that that stem right there and I launched it through my entire playing career. I played professionally 13 years, and for 10 of those, I was vegetarian. And then uh, the last three, I was pescatarian. When I re- when I retired, uh, you know, and at the time, I want to say it was all about health. I just felt better. It was period. That was it. And I retired. I just jumped off the wagon and jumped back in eating eating meat. I gained a lot of weight. Was not feeling great, to be honest with you. And uh, someone crossed my path one day and told me they were going to be become vegan. And I said, you know what? I'm going to support you. I'm become vegan as well. And I stopped cold turkey and I just became vegan. It's uh, it'll be uh, nine years next month that I've been vegan now. And though I will say the the big difference here for me is when I was vegetarian, it was so much about the health. But then when uh, when I was really uh, made aware of the what veganism really was. It was like, it was for the animals. And that's how it was projected to me. I really just started digging in and doing some research. And I started looking at YouTube video after YouTube video. And I got into the rabbit hole of YouTube videos on veganism. And I was just like, I was blown away at how much I'd been brainwashed uh, just by the, the propaganda behind meat eating and the dairy industry and everything. And it was just overwhelming marketing to market us to be, ignorant basically and I just at that point I was like I'm never going to let anyone pull the wool over my eyes again and I just found out as much information I can about my diet and how it affects the world how it affects other beings and now it went from just about my health and I will say now I'm I'm even more adamant about uh, how my choices affect other beings and other lives and that is why when people say will you ever go back there's no way I'll ever go back because I think about how my meal that one uh, lunch, dinner, breakfast, whatever it might be, is n- never going to be greater than a, a life. Well, that's what I appreciate about your approach, Coach Blair. You know, that's I, I got into this growing up on a farm and becoming vegan for the animals and and all of that. And uh, of course, I'm happy anytime people keep animals off their plate. Doesn't matter uh, the reason as long as they're doing it. But uh, but we have that thing in common now, and you've been doing this for almost a decade. And so, what I want to ask you is how was this received by the, the players you code? You've been an assistant for, I think at least three NBA basketball teams. You've been, you played all over the world. I want to, I want to learn about that too, about some of your favorite countries, cities, vegan meals you had, vegetarian, you know, whatever you had, well, you played in, in leagues, like literally all over the world. And how are people receiving this uh, when you're eating a little bit differently 
than perhaps the other coaches or other players. Positive, negative, are people confused? Do they embrace it? Uh, do they have a lot of questions? Um, is everyone just kind of individualistic? Uh, tell me about that a little bit. You know, I, I think it's kind of like society at this point. You have some people that are super curious because they've heard about it and they want to dabble their feet in it a little bit. And you have others that are like, oh, I could never do that. I love my I love my steak and whatever it is. You know, I always say, yeah, you love your dead flesh. I get it. <laughs> but, you know, but I will say that I've definitely noticed a difference in this change and evolution of what veganism is becoming because, you know, you look back at, like you said, almost a decade now, even before that, you talk about when I was vegetarian is back in 1996, 97, the options weren't there. Like if you were a vegetarian or vegan back then you were eating a lot of vegetables basically. And now uh, I just feel like there's no excuses. There's so many options. If you like a hamburger, Oh man, like there used to be, one type of black bean burger. Now there's so many options. It's almost overwhelming when it comes to a vegan burger. If you want a vegan burger, same thing with the chicken nuggets or fish sticks or shrimp or anything, anything that you can have that's a true animal product they have in a plant-based um, alternative. So I think that because of that, people are more and more open to it. And they're wondering what it is because also, like I said to you, when I became vegan, it was so much, I re recognized the marketing that was just, and the propaganda was just thrown in my face so much, you know, the food pyramid, all these things that are just total horseshit, to be honest with you, that we just swallowed down and believed, literally and figuratively swallowed down. And now, I mean, now because of the marketing of plant-based alternatives, people are really, they're starting to open their eyes because there is marketing for alternatives. And they say, oh, I wonder what that tastes like. I wonder if that's like, I wonder if that's good. I wonder if it tastes like this. I wonder if it tastes like that. So the questions are always abound with me. And it really, when it comes to the players, number one, there's a lot of players that are always like, I just want to try it because they, they really recognize because of a lot of the documentaries that came out and different stuff that it, it can be great for your body. And they want to see how will my body adjust to this? So some have given it a little stint and try, you know, I've actually coached uh, a couple of vegan players and I'm, proud to proud to be a part of that journey and just helping them and even um just make it raising the awareness of what they're doing and the reasons why they should continue to do it and helping them promote it with other people but i will say this is one of the i'm blessed that i i found out enough information before i got into my position because i'm constantly being questioned and as as you can imagine all of us vegans are constantly being debated on why it's good, why it's bad, why they other people should not do it or why they should do it. But I'm I'm always open to the debate because I've informed myself enough. But it's been a it's been one heck of a journey. And I will say from when I started become from when I first became vegan to where I'm at now, I've just really recognized that people are so much more open to even the suggestion of veganism that was not there almost a decade ago. Yeah. And it sounds like what you were saying is basically when you're talking about your approach and people's openness and, and curiosity is that basically anything you can do, I can do vegan, right? Or anything you can do, we can do vegan. You talked about all the different burgers and the foods and all the different options. And I follow you online and uh, which, which is fun uh, being a, a big basketball fan and, and checking all the scores and highlights and all that. But you also, you showed, uh, I remember one time you showed like the trays of food backstage, right? You were like, what the players get to eat, it's all lined up, the buffet, it's all the chicken wings or chicken legs or all the, and you're like, yeah, this is, you know, we don't do any of that stuff, but you were showing the, some of the stuff that they eat. So I'm wondering two questions, basically, 
from your experience, what is the typical NBA player diet? And I recognize, and I think a lot of listeners might recognize, these are a lot of 20-something-year-old men. You know, a lot of us can remember in our 20s, you can athletically get by on any kind of diet. You know, the famous Lamar Odom eating all the candy and and everything like that. Uh, And I'd like to know how your nutrition plan or diet differs. Like, so like, what is a typical NBA play? You don't have to single anybody out, but kind of what did they eat on a daily basis during the, you know, during the season perhaps. And then, uh, and then walk us through a day in the life of coach Joseph Blair, a vegan. uh, Well, I think that's, that's where things have really made a, a, a significant shift. I remember my first few years in the NBA or being around NBA team, even, um, the options weren't there. First of all, I, I want to say every NBA team, typically in their practice facility, has a chef that prepares meals. And that's, you know, we show up at the my practice facility, breakfast is already there. And breakfast, they'll usually have um, some, definitely some sausage, some bacon, some turkey bacon. Then they have like maybe egg and cheese biscuits. They'll have some pancakes. They have an omelet station set up. And then we have a smoothie station as well. And then there's a plethora of fruit and we have an oatmeal. So there is stuff there to eat. I, I'll, I'll be honest and tell you, I intermittent fast as well. So I only eat one meal a day. So I typically don't have breakfast, but I will usually steal a little bit of fruit to make a smoothie later on in the day. Um, so I don't really dabble in the breakfast at all. Same thing for lunch. We have a lunch, a big, huge setup as well. I think today was um, they had like a fried rice station. It's always made fresh right there. They'll put the stuff in it with you. They had a choice of chicken or beef. I had to make mine with vegetables in a separate pan that wasn't contaminated by the dead flesh. (laughs) So I could bring it home to eat later. Um, But then they also have, I think today was um, some type of sliced beef. There's a soup, there's another chicken, and then they have vegetables on the side. Today, I was super excited because I had lentils today. So I, I love lentils. So it was great for me. They had lentils some broccolini. Um, they also had a smashed sweet potatoes and another thing of vegetables. And then there's soup and there's always a big salad bar right there. So that was kind of what I went to, went, went with. Now that's when we're at home. When I we're on the road, it's a little bit different. Uh, we still have a buffet set up for brunch, same thing for breakfast. When we get to the arena, there's some food set up there. But I will say that we personally, um, my team travels with a dietitian and my dietitian, our dietitian is very aware of my uh, food choice. So she does an amazing, amazing job of making sure everywhere we go, there's always not one, but two vegan meals for me in case one is too small. She'll make sure there's a second for me. Now I will say this, not all NBA arenas that provide our meals are built the same because some places I go, the vegan meal is, you know, they'll say, here's some good vegetables and some white rice and none of it has seasoning. Enjoy. And then I'll go other places and they make this amazing uh, impossible bolognese pasta with extra veggies in it. And it's just fantastic. And it's too much for me to eat. And I give one away to somebody else, but I will say in, in the NBA now, there's such a difference in, in, in options available, even back before I, you could look back six years ago, we always have protein drinks available for players, post-game, post-practice, whatever it is. And before it was all whey protein. It was whey protein, casein proteins, milk-based proteins. Now, you'd be hard pressed not to find at least three to four plant-based protein options there. They're mixed in with them, either already pre-packaged or I honestly at, at our facility alone, we have 
two different brands of plant-based proteins and each one comes in four different flavors. So we have probably eight different flavors of plant-based proteins outside of the whey protein that they would only make for you. It's not even pre-made for us. So there's tons of options on that side. So a lot of the players are more and more aware. And I think the gone is the, gone is the days of those young guys that really just ate McDonald's all the, all the time because they're 20 something they can function on it. Now there is a really, uh, a really premium put on what, the, what they put in their body. And I remember telling, I had this conversation with one of our players about, oh, about six years ago. I said, you know, if you had this machine that printed money, would you put the, and it need to be oiled, would you put the regular oil in it? Would you put the best oil you could find? And they, of course they said the best oil you can find. It prints money. I said, well, you are your money-making machine. What you Are you going to put the best oil in yourself? Or are you going to put the bullcrap oil that only that's going to run, run your machine down? So they really um, became more aware of what they're eating. And I will say even organizationally with the teams, they're definitely being more aware of what they're going to serve the players as well. Well, I'm really intrigued by this one meal a day. My my friend, John Lewis, you might know him from Badass Vegan. Uh, he played some college basketball. Uh, he's a big guy. Um, uh, he's about, what is he, 6'6", 260, longtime friend of mine. He, he's eating about one meal a day right now, and he's been doing it for a few years. So I'm intrigued about that. But before I go any further, I, I want to continue to ask about your approach. Because you've got something, is it called Vegan Diaries? Is that what it's called? Vegan uh-huh. Food Diaries? Is that what it's yeah, called? Vegan Diaries with your boy, yeah. JB, the vegan coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. There it is. The Vegan Diaries. So I think you even did one here in Denver. So when you go to different cities, and by the way, I'm I'm near Denver. So if you come to town, I meant to check your schedule right before this call, but I was on another call and didn't check it yet. But I would love to meet up if you come to Denver. So you go to these different cities, like you said, some are a little bit more, the arenas at least, are a little more vegan friendly than others. But then you do your vegan diaries where you kind of take a tour of what that city has to offer. Some some of the cities that you go to, basketball hubs, are some of the most vegan friendly cities in the world, right? Sure. New York, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, even places like Orlando are fantastic. So uh, tell us about some of your favorite places when you're on the road, when you're outside of DC, um, who you put on the map? Who's like vegan I, cities, restaurants? Feel free to name drop whatever you got. I feel bad that I'm gonna leave somebody out because there's so many that I love. But obviously, you know some of the places you name when we go to, you know, you go to New York. There's so many different restaurants. There's so many different options everywhere. Honestly, I there's one little dim sum place I go to in New York, and I cannot not go there. It's a really I don't want to say it's a hole in the wall, but it's definitely not as glamorous as some of the other places. And I absolutely love, I did a vegan diary on it. So I, I hate that I can't remember the name of it, but it was like, I love that place. There are so many options there for me to eat. And then um, obviously all the planter restaurants all over the country. I, I And I'm, I, I'm giving them props just because they're so widespread, you know, and they have the options. No more planter, planter queen, planter cocina. So there's so many different ones. And I've been to the planter and we have two here in DC. I've been to both of them. We have been to the one in Orlando, West Palm Beach. I've been to the one in Miami. I've been to the one in uh, all over the place, basically. But also LA, you gotta love, uh, you know, Crossroads Kitchen is a staple of mine. I love the one in Vegas. What a what a amazing restaurant for high-class vegan dining. It's amazing as well. Vegas, by the way, there you go again. You got the modern vegan in Vegas. Uh, there's some amazing vegan, um, uh, what is it, Chef? Chef, Chef Kenny's? 
Chef Kenny's vegan dim sum. Come on. Yeah, he's a buddy of mine. Great, great spot. Great spot. Such a good place. And there's another place I just went to not too long ago, Saffron Vegan Eatery in Vegas. If you've never been, it was I, I was blown away. It was amazing as well. LA, come on. LA has so many different options. Again, I can't help but to go back to them. Gracias, madre. Um, there's I feel bad I'm gonna forget so many of them. You know what is the low-key great vegan scene is Salt Lake City. I, hey, I just wrote it there. I, I just wrote it there. I love Salt Lake City's vegan scene. Is just amazing. You would never expect it. And then you go there and it's everywhere. Um, same with Phoenix has great places as well. Um, gosh, where else? Uh, New York, as I said, for sure. Miami, you know, they're all over the place. And, I, you know, I can't help. I, I can't go on without dropping my D.C. people here as well. Elizabeth's gone raw here. Plant Burger, Bubby's Burgers, Pow Pow, Sticky Fingers Diners, and then Philly, as you said before, 21st Street Pizza, there's Monster Vegan, there's uh, Charlie's, Charlie was a sinner, like, there's so many great places, I, that's why I, feel, I feel bad you're asking me, and I'm caught off guard, because I have so many I could just throw out there, and that's one of the best things about the Vegan Diary for me, is I love it, because I get to go out and find new places all the time, and experience them, and I started it, for anyone that hasn't seen it, basically, I just pick a vegan restaurant or somewhere with amazing vegan options. And I just video the whole thing. And it started because every time I would say I'm vegan, people look at me like, what do you eat? Salad and tofu. I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I, I don't like, what do you normally eat? I'm like, I don't know. I just eat great food. So I wanted to just start showing people all the stuff I ate. So then I was like, not only that, I'm going to show you where to go so you can get it too. So that's what I do. I just do it on my, my Instagram, on my TikTok as well. And I just go to different restaurants and I show what I eat and show how amazing it is. I show my happy face when I'm eating it as well. But it's uh, it's been a great thing. And for me, it's been a great experience because I get to find new places. I, I try not to repeat offend on the restaurants, which is really hard because some of them I just want to go back to over and over again. But um, it's been a great journey for me doing it. I'm hoping that people are benefiting from it. I've got some really good feedback from people that they, they have tried the restaurant after I went there or they can't wait to go and try it. So it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun for me. Well, yeah, and it's great for those restaurants to get them that exposure and that support. And like you said, one of the hardest parts was leaving places out. I had Salt Lake City written down as a, you know, a place to get slept on sometimes. It's smaller town out in the mountains. I used to live out there. People kind of forget about it. Great vegan city. There's also places like Dallas, right? I mean, they got a whole bunch of stuff. Um, the Bay Area, you know, one, oh. of, the, one of the best. I know, I know you probably oh. play most of your games on the East Coast. Um, I want to ask you about another one. We're, we're talking about the $100 million brand Pinky Cole and Slutty Vegan in Atlanta. And now, all over the South. I mean, she's opening up like 20, she's got plans to open up like 25 locations. I think she's got nearly a dozen already open. Uh, have you been out there? I, you know what? I have not. And I'm telling you, and the, the only reason I haven't is because when I go to Atlanta, a good friend of mine has a place that a food, vegan food truck, and they bring me food and it's amazing. And then I was so excited because she did a pop-up here in DC for Slutty Vegan. The line was around the block, literally. So by the time I was going to get there, they were out of food. And that, that's what I've heard. Anything. It was, I was just shocked and amazed. So please, if you're listening and you can send me a package of your food or hook me up, give me a line skip. I'm all about it. Vegan diary all day for you. Slutty vegan. <laughs>
Yeah, I mean, Pinky Cole is doing amazing things. Um, a little bit later on, I want to ask about that. I've got some notes I wrote down. Uh, as you probably know, um, uh, Black Americans are the fastest growing uh, demographic of veganism in the country. I want to talk about that a little bit later on. But staying here on 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 the food for a minute, uh, it was last year, right after the vegan cruise. I just gotten off the vegan cruise, uh, sailing out of Miami, and then went to a little French uh, French vegan restaurant in Miami. And in walked Alonzo Morning, and I was like, "Man, should I say something to him? I'm a big basketball fan, and I I, I should have, I probably should have, you know, I've got my selfie with Chris Paul and Javale McGee, and I saw De uh, uh, DeAndre Jordan." um at the game changers premiere and all this stuff i didn't talk to him but as soon as he walked out i talked to the staff i'm like was that was that alonzo morning they're like yeah he's he's been vegan for like six years he he lives a block away he comes in here all the time and and all this kind of stuff and i, I was really because he's a big guy too i mean one of the one of the great big men in in nba history i don't know what is he six eleven two or six ten six eleven two sixty but uh, I don't know. Do you know Alonzo? And did you know he's vegan and has been for six years? I had no idea until you just told me. But it's interesting. One of the things you just said right now, that's the other thing I, I get a lot from the other players and the other coaches. Like, I'm not the person they typically ridicule when they saw, oh, the, this is what a vegan's going to look like. Because I walk in and, you know, I'm bigger than most of those guys. I take very good care of myself. I, you know, I'm like a 6'10", 255 pounds, 260 if I've had a good weekend. And uh, so it's not like they're going to say, you're going to be scrawny. You're not going to be strong. You're not going to be this, not going to be that. I work out every day as well. You know, most in, in the weight room, I, it's hard for them to keep up with me. So it's very interesting that uh, I always find it interesting because they look at me and I remember I was talking with three of my players last year. We were on a road trip and they're we were talking about something else and I, and I was about to leave to go to do a vegan diary. Matter of fact, it was in San Antonio. And there was like, JB, you know, you should be like the poster child for veganism, man. Like you got the beard, you got the big muscles. You're like, man, everything no one expects from a vegan. That's what you are. And I'm like, yeah, but you, you know, it's just a stereotype that people have labeled vegans to think that they're going to be scrawny, not muscular, not doing this. And I always said, all right, if you're going to judge every vegan by the one vegan, let me choose which meat eater I get to judge all the meat eaters by then, please. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've been doing this almost 30 years now as a vegan athlete, a former champion bodybuilder, former collegiate runner, uh, you know, trained for the fun of it, still in pretty good shape these days, over 200 pounds, uh, just under six feet tall. I found out from my DEXA scan, not quite six feet tall, <laughs> apparently. But uh, but yeah, that's the same. That's the thing. You know, people may criticize me, the others, bigger bodybuilders and all that, but how do I compare to the general population? You know, obviously my mid forties, vegan for 30 years, you know, fit, strong and all of that. And so, yeah, when people uh, sometimes might want to pick a, a certain individual and try to compare an individual who's vegan and try to compare all these non-vegans to them, look at some of the names I've mentioned already. Joseph Blair, big guy. Alonzo Mourning, big guy. DeAndre Jordan, another vegan guy. Big guy, over seven feet tall. Uh, JaVale McGee, seven feet tall, another big guy, three-time NBA champion, you know, and then you got uh, a smaller guy like Chris Paul, but maybe the most vocal. I wanted to ask you about that. He's one of the maybe most vocal guys in the NBA as far as a plant-based diet. He's investing into brands all the time. He's uh, He was involved in the Game Changers. That's where I met him, and he was up on stage talking about that. Uh, he's... Uh, he, he's out there. He's getting his message out there to a, a wide audience. Uh, do you see some sort of influence 
because a guy like Chris Paul is a future Hall of Famer, for those who don't know. I mean, he's the State Farm guy, <laughs> the basketball guy in the State Farm commercials. He's one of the greatest to ever do it. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. He's already, I think, uh, what is he, second in the M- NBA in active players and steals and assists and all of this. Uh, do you see his influence on other players uh, when as he moves around different teams or as his influence as a, a former uh, president of the, the players using union in the NBA, um, you know, what is he a nine or 10 time all-star uh, what kind of influence does someone like that have on other players? Well, I think it's just, you know, you talk about leading by example, you know, there's a lot of people that can say this would be good. This should be good. But, you know, for him to be his age, still doing what he does, still being able to be as impactful as he is and a vegan, that speaks louder than anything he could say, but it also puts him on a platform high enough where anything he says is magnified and amplified to another level. Um, so, I, you know, I, I applaud CP3. I, you know, what he does and um, his advocacy for veganism is amazing. And I'm, I'm so happy that I've been around him, that I, I know when he was in Houston, I, I believe, is, if I'm not mistaken, is was when I was in Houston is when he switched and became vegan. I was already vegan at the time. And I remember all of a sudden we started having Beyond Burgers at our meals. And I was like, well, I don't know. Whoever did this is great. I'm just happy that I get it and end up being Chris. So yeah. it's it a great situation for me. But I really do, you know, he's one of the people, when you talk about veganism in the NBA or athletes, vegan athletes, his name comes up quite a bit. And I'm proud of him for doing it. I'm happy to, to know him and also to uh, kind of carry on the legacy of what he's doing in the league. But I think for sure, you know, his name is one of the names that come up with other players bring up, bring up being vegan as well as some of the players you just named. I, another great player, Jared Vanderbilt, he's with the Lakers. He was with me in Minnesota. And I benefited from some amazing meals with Vando because he was vegan and the chef would go all out for the players. So I got some great meals as well. But as you also asked earlier, he says, I'm not the. I'm actually not the only NBA coach that's vegan. There's another uh, Norm Richardson in Charlotte. Another vegan coach. I know uh, Kevin Burleson. He's with the Rockets organization. He's another vegan coach. And I'm constantly getting hit by these other coaches that I didn't know were vegan. But then they see my vegan diary or something like that, and now they're telling me, "Hey, did you know I'm vegan too? I became vegan two years ago, one year ago. Oh, I went to that restaurant that you put in the vegan diaries, man. Keep them coming because I want more restaurants we can go to when we're traveling. So it's definitely becoming uh, more more prolific. Well, that, that's amazing, and you're you're enlightening me because I'm I'm talking about being a big NBA fan. I did not know those other coaches were vegan. I'm very excited about that. Uh, give me some more teams to cheer for now. <laughs> uh, in addition to wherever Russell Westbrook is playing, um, and, and of course the Wizards. Um, so I'm glad to hear that. Just like you learned about uh, Alonzo Mourning, and, and I mean the staff said literally he lives a block away from that place. He's in there all the time. Uh, really nice guy. Been vegan for six years. In fact, they said his whole family is vegan. Wow. And then um, I was heading back to Miami. I was going to try to see if I could get connected with him, but I'm like, oh man, it's they're playing that like. Um, uh, what do you call it? Not the wild card game, but the uh, the the, the play in tournament. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the play in tournament. I'm like, oh man, what if they lose? I don't want to, you know, don't want to hit them on a bad day. And then sure enough, they go all the way to the finals. I could have talked to them, <laughs> but uh, th- that's 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 really cool. And I think that's that speaks volumes to the fact that people are changing, people are evolving. You know, I mean, 
I don't know if you remember when Kyrie Irving was vegan and he had that commercial that was played during the college football national championship game. He was showing off all his handles and dribbling and doing trick shots and all this stuff. And they, they said, man, how do you do it? And he, and he spun around and looked right at the camera and said, a plant-based diet. And that was like a big moment. Um, I don't know that he's still vegan right now, but he, but he certainly was for a while. And another one of the the, the greatest of all time. I've heard Emeka Okafor, I think, is is, is vegan. Uh, of course, uh, one of the old heads, John Sally, has been doing it for a long time. Uh, he's a longtime friend of mine. Uh, saw him just recently. But uh, I want to go back now to this one meal a day thing uh, because I'm a guy who's kind of eat six times a day or more. You know, maybe it's a bodybuilding mentality. You know, I'm always like, you know, every few hours, I feel like I got to fuel up. Uh, what can you tell me about the impact on your body, your mind, uh, how you feel with this approach of having this intermittent fasting window of your your feeding window or eating window, as they call it, uh, for one meal a day? And, and what is that meal? Like, what does it consist of? How big is it? Uh, all of that. So, um, you know, I've been doing it now for about four years. Uh, I, I have a four hour window. Um, my typical window is from 4.30 to 8.30. Sometimes it ends up being five to nine, depending on work. Unless it's a game day, my window changes on game days because I love to eat after the games. So my window goes from seven to nine, seven to 11, excuse me, because um, I'll break my fast right before I walk on the court. So if you ever come to a game and you see me munching as I'm walking out on the court it's because I just broke my fast and I'm excited to have some food but um honestly it's it's been one of the most amazing things in my life it's uh you know number one I think that true discipline in your life starts with your diet if you can discipline your diet everything else is relatively easy quite frankly and just before I even get into how it has affected me physically I want to say like when you when people stop and think about how much time you spend deciding what you're going to eat, deciding where you're going to eat, going to eat, like it, my productivity level as a professional has gone up because I don't spend that time doing those things. I don't stop and think, okay, what am I going to have for breakfast? Where am I going for breakfast? Or people that sit there and take an hour to decide where they're going for lunch, much less once they get there, the time it takes to do that. You know, I am a early riser. I, I wake up, you know, typically right now, I've been waking up around 4.45, 4.30 in the morning. I'm in the gym by six o'clock working out. I've, my energy levels have never suffered from it. I do probably about a two hour workout every day. Um, and I still don't eat till the afternoon. So uh, I've, I've had no problems at all energy wise. And that's typically what people say. I don't know how you do it. I don't have energy. And I'm like, the body adapts. The body is so amazing. If you give it the opportunity to show you what it can do, it will blow your mind and I remember when I first started I was like oh this I don't know how I'm gonna do it within two weeks I was like this is easy I'm not hungry I'm fine I'm good and when I am hungry I have some water which my body's probably craving because most times we think we're hungry and we're just a little dehydrated you add a little water to your body and all of a sudden you're refreshed and regenerated again and what it's done for me is really just kept my focus has been strong stronger than ever my mind clarity is great um, I don't fluctuate with my weight the way I did at one time, you know, and again, I have to say I'm 255, 260 sometimes. The lowest I've ever gone, I think, is when I first became vegan. I lost about 20 pounds and I went to down like 242, something like that, 243. But then I picked that right back up after 
I think three weeks later, I was right back to my normal weight again. So I had no issues whatsoever. My strength, I'm strong as I've ever been. I'm, I hadn't lose. I didn't lose any strength when I changed in intermittent fasting or when I became vegan for that matter. So it's just been a great, it's been a great thing for me. It really just ups my productivity level and it really helps me focus on things I need to focus on. And when I do break my fast, typically I always break my fast with what my body's craving. I'll make a protein drink, um, like always on the way to the game, when we have home games, I'll bring a smoothie with me to break my fast. And in that smoothie, I put, um, chia and flax seeds in there. I have a protein scoop in there for sure. I also put some turmeric in there. If I, if I don't have ginger, I'll put ginger powder in there as well, just to have some fresh ginger. I put frozen uh, pineapples, frozen uh, blackberries, raspberries, blueberries, um, also some grapes, sprinkling a little cinnamon as well. I, sometimes I'll put a little scoop of the protein, I mean, the peanut butter powder as well. So it's a, it's a full meal and it's everything my body craves. And then on top of that, I do um, take other supplements as well. Vitamin D, vitamin B, melatonin, uh, excuse me. Um, I do take melatonin before I go to sleep, by the way, but also uh, uh, what else do I take? Um, vitamin C, you know, I'm just, I'm really aware of what my body needs and I listen to my body. After you've done it for a while, you know, when your body, for example, I'm sure all of us can say, I know my, I want a salad. My body's craving greens. We get used to it. We know it. So I, I've just kind of listened to my body and I go from that. Then after later, I try to have a more of a clean meal as well. So it's always a, a little bit of carbs, but definitely some protein. So lentils, black beans, legumes, uh, whatever it might be. I love greens. I love kale. I love all those things as well. So it's really not that hard for me. And I love peanut butter and jelly, which is even better. <laughs> well, I, I like what you said about how the body adapts. And that's obviously unequivocally true because we, th we talk about things that some people label as extreme, like one meal a day when you live in an affluent society and have access to calories and meals and you're not starving, you know, uh, that might seem kind of extreme one meal a day. But so is running a marathon. That doesn't come naturally to humans. We have to train for that, adapt to it, or ultra marathons, I mean, running 100 miles. Uh, bodybuilding, which I competed in for a decade, you know, also extreme, um, but your body adapts to this kind of training workload and diet and calorie restriction and all of that. And there's different eating plans. I, I think what, uh, what might be a little bit extreme actually is, I don't know if you know this, um, I just found it when I was writing my new book that uh do you know the average calorie intake uh for the adult american right now i'd be scared to know it to be honest with you i was scared when i saw it it is 3540 calories uh, per day just for the average the average american that's from the united nations that and that's and i just was at a nutrition conference one of the best ones in the country and that slide was also on there weeks after i'd found it to put it in my book as well. So it's been verified multiple times. You know, we grow up talking about this 2000 calorie diet and, and all of this for the, the food pyramid and how to reach the, our 2000 calories and all of that. Well, it turns out the average American is consuming about double that. Uh, we also have 73.6% uh, of Americans who are overweight, 42.5% of Americans who are obese. And that's not to body shame anyone, but it's to sound the alarm that there's some underlying causes to these things that could be precursors or could lead to something like heart disease or heart attack or stroke or cancer and diabetes and all of these things that, that, you know, one in two of us, one in three of us are going to get in our lifetimes at the, the current rate. 
And so uh, you also said this, this quote, I tried to write it down as fast as I could, but I was running out of sticky notes. Um, something along the lines of true discipline uh, in life starts with uh, nutrition, something like that. I'll have to go back and watch the replay, but, but I think that's a fantastic quote. We're going to, we're going to give you credit coach Blair and, and post that <laughs> on there and put it in memes and all that. I, yeah. And I was actually, I guess told you I was on a call right before this and I was actually quoting chef AJ uh, who's has said for many years regarding food and food choices that if it's especially kind of like junk food, if it's in your house, it's in your mouth because eventually you're going to, you're going to give in. You're, you don't want to go to the store or you look in the fridge, nothing's appealing. You look in the pantry. Oh, I already had all that. I'm not really interested. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I don't want to go anywhere. Look at that ice cream. Look at those pastries. Look at those bag of chips, which are just, highly processed covered in oil and salt but that's my nutrition because if it's in my house it's in my mouth what i loved about what you said you listed all kinds of nutrient dense antioxidant rich fiber rich nitric oxide vasodilating healthy whole plant-based foods that i think will uh speak to chef aj's audience um really really well so thank you for sharing that and how you break that fast and the kind of things that your body craves i think um, sure more people need to put themselves in position where they're craving healthy, nourishing foods, not being, uh, not over consuming and being malnourished with nearly 4,000 calories a day uh, per capita. So I want to, uh, I want to transition for, to a couple of different areas here. I had some notes I wrote down uh, about your, your, your time playing with, with the Globetrotters, like what that was like. Uh, that was a lot of fun sitting courtside. I was I was wearing my whole Russell Westbrook jersey, the shorts, the sleeves, the shoes, the arm sleeves, the leg sleeves, uh, and even the even the Globetrotters came up and took some selfies with me at the game. I even got to sign, you know, sweet uh, sweet Lou Dunbar was signing autographs, and even someone asked me for an autograph because I was in a full jersey. <laughs> it was great. But there's a comment um, that uh, do you have any? Uh, any fun Harlem Globetrotter memories? And also, do you remember when the Harlem Globetrotters were on Scooby-Doo? Huh. Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, when I was young, I was a, a huge Harlem Globetrotter fan myself. I definitely remember on Scooby-Doo all the time. It was it was crazy because it was when I go from watching them on Scooby-Doo to being around those guys that are, that are in the cartoon, it was like sweet Lou Dunbar, sweetie is like, yo, he, he's such a good guy, by the way. I don't know if you got to talk to him, but sweetie's amazing guy. And, you know, he was one of the showmen while I was playing with the globe charters. It's just a great experience to be around him. And you hear some of their old stories of their travels and things they did. And I tell you, um, I, I guess my biggest story I always had with the globe charters is I remember, um, my first, I did two stints with the Globe Trials, and neither one of the times that I did the full season, I was playing somewhere else or something happened and I jumped in with them. And my very first time jumping in with them, they had already started. They'd gone through training camp, everything. And here I am. I can't do one trick. I can't spin a ball. I can't roll a ball. I can't do anything because they were really elevating the level of the normal players. So they fly me out to Minnesota. And they're playing like not in Minneapolis, but outside of Minneapolis somewhere. And one of the guys I know from Houston were with the Globe Charters. And he picks me up in the airport and we're driving out to where this uh, where this game is going to be played. They're playing that night. And I'm, I'm expected to play that night. I just landed. I don't know anything. And we're driving out there, first of all. And we stop, you know, as we're driving out there, there's like outside of Minneapolis. There is more snowmobiles on the sides of the roads than there are cars on the road. And we stop 
asked some people if we can jump on their snowmobile and take a ride. And he has this like, almost like a post-it pad, like with his picture on it. So he's always ready to sign an autograph and rip it off and give it to people. And I was like, wow, this is like, and the people are like, you're a globe trotter? Sure, take my snowmobile. So we both jump on the snowmobiles and ride it down, ride it back. And then we jump back in the car, we get to the game. And I just will never forget my first night there as a globe trotter. I'm in the game. I play like the beginning of the first quarter. I play like beginning of the third quarter, I think. And I'm, but I'm just sitting there. And I hadn't seen the globe charter since I was a little tyke, as they say. And um, I'm just, I am just, I feel like I should have bought a ticket. I was enjoying myself so much. I'm rolling. I'm laughing at every joke. I'm like, just everything is just so much fun. And it's so amazing. And I'm laughing so hard at everything. And then um, we go the next day and I didn't realize the next day we're doing the same jokes again. So I was like, oh, wait, I have to, everyone else was fake laughing. I was just laughing my butt off over there. But then I want to say the other thing that the globe chart is amazing. It's amazing, but it's difficult because most people don't realize when they see the globe charters, they just came from another city and another game the night before and the night before and the night before and the night before. And if you saw them on Sunday, most likely you're the first or the second game they're playing that day. So, you know, in NBA season, we have 82 games, which is a lot of games. In three months, the Globe Charters have more games than an entire NBA season, and they go all year. So the work that is involved with it and the travel, you're constantly going from city to city to city. People just don't, don't appreciate the amount of work that goes into that. But I will say this. I've never had more fun than playing basketball at the Harlem Globe Charters. Number one, every game's a home game because everyone wants you to win. And that's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> but also they just encourage you to have fun. And if you look at professional sports, I, I in a lot of ways, I wish it mirrored the Globe Chatters a little bit more. Because when you go to the Globe Chatter game, you're going to see families there. It's not a business meeting at a game. It's not uh, high price tickets that you can't bring four or five people to the game with you. It is just people enjoying basketball at its root and at its finest. They're not there for the halftime show. They're not there to be seen. They're there to enjoy the best of basketball has to offer. And, and that's, it was a, such a beautiful thing just to be a part of that. And it really rejuvenated my love for the game of basketball. So I owe so much of the coach I am today and the player I became because of my time with the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, it's truly wholesome entertainment. And I'll tell you, I, I saw the Globetrotters as a kid. I, you know, I kind of barely remember it. It was memorable, but I was just young enough that I kind of remember some of it, but not all of it. And, and my, uh, my wife saw them as a kid and she remembered Sweet Lou Dunbar. We talked to him after the game, you know, um, back in March for my birthday when we sat courtside and, and he was gracious. Like you said, he was, he was super friendly. He's got amazing signature, by the way, you can just read it perfectly. He, he signed a basketball. Like I should have, man, it's on, it's on the other side of the basement here. I should have had it, but, uh, but yeah, I've got it here. Uh, sweet, you know, sweet Lou Dunbar signed Har Harlem Globetrotter basketball. Awesome. And I'll tell you, uh, I've been to a lot of basketball games. I've never seen people hang around for an autograph you know, like that, where where all the players get in a, in a little corner or section of the court. They're, they're all four corners, but also at, at a half court, you know, on the sideline and the other half court on the sideline. And there's just crowds and people are just going from each player to each player to get their ball signed by everybody or get their poster signed by everybody. Yeah. And you talk about the entertainment value. There's the whole production, all the music, the DJ, the uh, the microphone, the 
I mean, it's a big production to going from city to city to city to set this thing up to make people fall in love with basketball all over again. And I just got an email. They're coming back. Uh, they're coming back to my town. My The last time my wife got it for me as a Christmas gift. So I, I haven't said anything in case she still wants to surprise <laughs> me. Otherwise, I might just have to go go book the tickets. But um, but I appreciate you sharing that. And um, there's another question. Uh, someone uh, said that they, they hear you speak uh, fluent Italian. Is that correct? I do. Certo, come no. <laughs> I do. I spent, uh, you know, I, I played overseas for about 13 years, six of those being in, in Italy, not not consecutive, but um, I definitely picked it up while I was over there. I spoke Spanish pretty good before I went, and it kind of led those Latin based languages led into that. I actually have two, my I have three, three boys. My two youngest are both born and raised in Italy from a former girlfriend. So, and uh, interesting enough, I don't even speak English with my kids. We, we only speak Italian to each other. So it keeps me on my toes. That's for sure. Wow. I didn't realize that. I'm glad that question was asked. My, my wife lived in Lake Como for um, a short yeah. while. And, we, yeah. and I've never been to Italy. I've been to 35 countries, but never Italy, but we plan to go there together one of these days. And uh, beautiful yeah. area, beautiful area. I, so I lived three years in Milan. So I would always actually go to Como and then go through Como on my way up to Switzerland as well. It's a beautiful area right there. Yeah, that, that's that's amazing. And didn't didn't Kobe play out there? Wasn't he in, in, in Italy? Or he, I know he spoke Italian too, right? Well, his dad actually played in Milan, which that's why he was always he's always tied with Italy because when his dad was playing there, he was raised there. So he speaks fluent he spoke fluent Italian as well. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh I wanna we got you know 10 minutes or so. I want to make sure we go back to this um this question I talked about earlier, this topic that I talked about earlier. Uh we talk about uh Black Americans being the fastest growing vegan demographic, all the stats that I've seen is that there's a 8% of uh, Black Americans uh, identify as vegans, whereas the national population is about 3%, maybe even 2%. Uh, why do you why do you think that is, that, that within the Black community, veganism is growing at the fastest rate, and, and it has been um, for a few years now. Um, I'll just quickly preface by saying we already talked about Pinky Cole. She has a $100 million brand, uh, Slutty Vegan, which is not just a restaurant. It's many restaurants. They even got one. Did you hear about this? In the Atlanta airport. Wow. The, 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 yeah, they got a permanent spot in the, in the world's busiest awesome. airport. She just announced that about a week ago. Uh, she also has a line of food that I think is in Target and all these other things, uh, all these other uh, retailers. Uh, but she just won't, you know. One person, Tabitha Brown, has has been doing amazing things with her books, with her TV shows, with her lines at Target, with her clothing lines, with uh, her third book in like two years. They all become New York Times bestsellers. Um, so many people in the uh, in the sports world, uh, Serena and Venus Williams embracing veganism or plant based diets. And we talked about Chris Paul and and some other individuals, John Lewis, of course, and uh, bodybuilder Tori Washington, and so many others, entrepreneurs and companies and businesses. But what's your perspective on that? Why, why is uh, why are Black Americans embracing veganism at just say two and a half times the rate as the general population? You know, I think it goes back to what I said earlier: um, marketing, marketing propaganda. You know, we suffered from the belief in propaganda when it came to meat eating for so long, and even what we consider to be soul food, um, and just constantly taking it and and believing it and running with it and taking what was given. And now as we're starting to see success and entrepreneurship 
in many areas. Uh, I think it's now this uprising of everyone wanting to be more educated in every aspect. You know, you talk about uh, um, African-American college graduates have gone up. African-American entrepreneurs have gone up, small business owners, people in influential positions with bigger companies. And what does that mean? In my opinion, that's number one, because we're becoming more and more educated, educated on what's available to us, educated on how to get uh, obtain those things and educated on what's best for us in our lives. And as you do that, as you gain success and you become more um, affluent, the next thing you want is more sustainability so that you can really enjoy those things. So if you're gonna do that, then the next step to that is your diet as well. You wanna be around long enough to enjoy those things. And like I said before, now there's this marketing, what is really healthy? And the more we look into it, the more educated, as I said, we become, we start to realize and recognize that maybe grandma's uh, oxtails aren't as good for us as we thought they were. Um, maybe we don't need a pork shoulder in our greens to enjoy those greens. They're just greens. And as you start to look into those things, you understand how they truly affect us. And you look back at what happened, you know, heart disease ran rampant, ran rampant through the African-American community, high blood pressure, diabetes. It's just, it's, it's, as much as we're growing in the vegan side, we've grown so much in those bad negative physical attributes as well. And we find out, okay, what's the real answer to fix those things? Changing your diet is the number one thing. It's better than the medicines that most people can't afford. It's, it's cheaper to change your diet than to go buy all those medications. So as that becomes uh, people more aware of that and they see the change and they see the results of it, I think it's just becoming more and more affluent in our culture. And I would also add, if I may, I interviewed one of my one of my favorite people, uh, Will Tucker. He's a, a champion bodybuilder, uh, longtime friend of mine. Uh, he's a longtime vegan guy, and I interviewed him also about this topic for my book about you know he's he's in his early fifties, about being you know a uh, a black American and longtime vegan, and what that's like. Like when he became vegan, he didn't. Uh, he didn't know any other black vegans, you know, over a decade ago. That's just, that was his experience. Yeah. Um, but so what he said was representation. You know, when you, when you see people succeeding, like, you know, we, we, you know, Dr. Columbus Batiste and Tracy McWhorter and, and, and Eric Adams and all, you just get increased representation and you realize, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's something that could uh, appeal to me too. It's not just for white folks or it's not just for, uh, you know, the hippie culture. It's not just for, people who, uh, you know, are, grew up in this certain environment, it, it really can be in, in, embraced by everyone. And, and Pinky Cole, I, I, I think, said the same thing. Uh, she even said there's even, you know, there's a, a little bit of, when you talk about influencing growth with uh, of any kind of movement or social justice movement, there's also has to be some sort of like, you know, she called it a cool factor. Like, it's, it's cool to be vegan now, you know, and she made Slutty Vegan one of the most successful uh, plant-based restaurant chains in America, if not the world, uh, like you said, lines like literally down the street, around the block and around the block again uh, in cities all over uh, the Southeast, uh, because partly it's that, it's that, it's that cool factor. And there's just this increased representation now. Uh, and I think John Sally said the same thing um, when I interviewed some of my, my friends about what's, what's driving this forward. So I appreciate you sharing that uh, as well. And we got a few minutes left, um, but you're not, you're not just a basketball coach. You are uh, a motivational speaker, 
you you speak at leadership conferences. In fact, I just missed you by a day. You know, you came out to Colorado. We we miss each other in D.C. When I like by mere hours, based on yeah. my flight time, I missed you in D.C. I met, then you came to Colorado, like literally days later. And then I, I missed you there. I was doing my thing up here in Fort Collins. Uh, tell us about your work in the in the leadership, uh, personal development, entrepreneurship industry. Yeah, I think, you know, before I get into coaching, interesting enough, I retired from basketball. I uh, I got into I moved back to I was living at the time in southern Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. And I really just dove into the community. And at that time, it was really just a nonprofit sector was a big thing for me. And just uplifting my community. I retired from basketball. My son was starting high school. It was a perfect time. I wanted to be around him more. And I just wanted to make the community the best I could make it because it was where my my son was growing up. And uh, as I did that, I just started understanding of uh, the, 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 the true philosophy of community. It's all different cultures coming together for the better of the whole. And I started to just truly teach that and preach that Outside of, I took this community model of what it means to be a strong community, and I started placing it into organizations. You know, organizations now, you know, one of my biggest things I say all the time right now is I think that the, the term culture in organization is completely outdated. We live in a global society now where you can't, it's not about building a culture, it's about building a community that embraces cultures. So if you're constantly saying, I want this culture, culture is stagnant, it doesn't change. I, I speaking thing in Colorado I said this one time there's a this amazing Italian guy we got banding back and forth in Italian and his name was Vinny I said Vinny tell me five years ago what the Italian culture looked like he, he explained it and I said okay now tell me what it looks like now he said the exact same thing and I said what do you think it looked like in five years same thing again who wants their organization to look the same in 10 years nobody does now tell me about your community what it looked like five years ago what it looks like now and what you want it to look like five years from now it's growing, it's changing, it's expanding, and it's magnetic. It's pulling people in if it's done correctly. Uh, obviously, there's cities lose people. Why? Because they're not community, because they've become so culture-based that it excludes other cultures. So uh, as I started teaching that and really growing that, how do you grow community that is accepting of all different cultures? And that's kind of my preface of everything. And what it does is also one of my big testaments that uh, a good friend of mine asked this one time is um i lived all over the all over the world literally i've lived in italy greece russia turkey france uh everywhere and i've traveled everywhere in all these different places that you've been everywhere with all different people all these different religions what do you, what have you learned the most and my answer to him was simple i said that i've learned two big things about us as people no matter where you're from no matter what religion you follow, no matter what you eat, no matter what you think, we all desire two things, love and relevance. We want to feel loved and we want to feel that we matter. And if you can make people feel those two things, it will unite cultures to community. Now, going back to my diet, I make choices that show love and show that beings matter. And when I do those two things, that unites people. When you're not doing no things, it divides people. And that's what it's all about. All my leadership teaching is based on those. Obviously, I go out and expand on that quite a bit, talking about how to build that community inside organizations. But it's all based around the principle of love and relevance. And I follow that in my diet. I am, a, I am not only a healthy eater, I am a conscious eater. My, I know the decisions I make 
of what goes on my plate, what puts in my body does not just affect me and my body. It affects the being that was killed to be put on someone's plate. It affects this planet. It affects the planet for my grandchildren, my grandchildren's children, and so on and so forth. If they make it that far at the rate we're going with the choices we're making and the next person next to me for greenhouse effect, for the pollution, for the emissions, everything. And it's all combined. And I just think that the conscious living is one of the best decisions I ever made. The understanding of that the choices I make for my meals affect a life and lives, a life, but definitely lives in general. And that's the kind of the preface of um, what I teach when it goes into leadership of understanding that everyone's decisions inside your organization affect lives as well. Well, Coach Blair, I think that is a beautiful way to wrap things up. I'm so glad I asked that final question because you gave a whole bunch of quotable lines there that could be referenced uh, for years to come. And I love that about uh, love and relevance and and wanting to matter and, and feel significant and contribute to the world and, and be loved and be seen and be heard. And the way you tied that into your food choices and, and, and your decisions, everyday life, I think is, is really remarkable and uh, admirable. So so thank you for sharing that. And uh, I also want to respect your time. I know it's it's busy uh, being a basketball coach. I know you got probably a game tomorrow and probably many more. <laughs> you got nine months of games coming up. So um, I'm going to bring Chef AJ back in here uh, to to thank you, Coach Blair. This was this was wonderful. I, I, I still got sweaty palms a little bit here. <laughs> the next time that we chat, I will I will have that Wizards jersey. I got to get rid of the Oklahoma and get Washington or D.C., uh, the district across my yeah, chest. Yeah. I, want, I want the district one. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much, uh, Coach Blair. And, and, and where can people find you online, uh, uh, social media, website? Where can they uh, follow what you're doing? Yep, that's uh, both my Instagram and TikTok, Mr. Joseph Blair, Mr. Joseph Blair. I'm on there. And, you know, hopefully I can get you some more vegan diaries. And if you're, a, I will say this: if you're a vegan restaurant in one of these NBA cities, that I can come check you out. Let me know as well, because I'm always looking for some new places that I can explore and put other people on too. So I'm excited about that. Right. This was that's a phenomenal neat. interview. Thank you, Robert. But Coach Blair, I have one question: Where do you get your protein? <laughs> I failed. I failed. Boy, have we had not all heard that one. <laughs> Robert, you had one job. You had one job. Ask about protein. You didn't do it over the course of an hour. Do you have? Do you have an answer for that, Coach Blair? I always say I get my protein where yours. Your protein gets its protein. You, I just don't even <laughs> recycle. I get the clean protein. That's fantastic. Thank you. This was a great interview. Thank you both so much, and thank you both for being vegan. Thank you. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Shea Feiji Live. Please come back tomorrow for another great show. Thanks, everyone.